and what I've learned lately is more and more it's better to trust him <laughs> with everything and not just the big stuff. This is Camus and this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big miraculous ways all the way down to small everyday things. It's Camus, and this week we have Dennis Strout with us. Um, Dennis is good is the father of our friend Andrew, who we were really close with a couple years ago. But you know, separate ways life happens. You grow up, people go to college. But Dennis is a good friend of ours, and well, we've known him for a while, and he's kind of a little bit like family. So I asked him if he'd be willing to share his testimony, and like the nice person he is, he said yes. Yay! <laughs> So, Dennis, why didn't you tell everybody where you're from? So, I grew up in Sheridan, Wyoming, uh, which is not a small town, but not a big city. Mm. Just kind of, um, just a town in Wyoming. Just a town in Wyoming. Yeah. One of the bigger ones. But And now, uh, so, and that's where I grew up, and I've made stops in um, Oklahoma for school, Wyoming again, and then South Dakota and Idaho is where I recently came. I've been here since 2008 and mm-hmm. just just moved to Kellogg, Idaho. Yeah, I know. You've moved away from us now. Yeah. Sad life. Anyway, well, yeah. that's fun. Moving around is always fun. You've moved quite a bit. Anyway, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your religious background growing up? Okay, so... Um, I grew up in kind of a dysfunctional Brady Bunch style Catholic family. And for those who don't understand Brady Bunch, that's dad had two kids, mom had two kids, dad and mom made two kids. Oh, cool. And so, so we grew up Catholic. And so I don't have a lot of memories about that time other than I know I attended on holidays. And there was a part of their religious or their um teaching like they have a thing called ccd which is like a sunday school or mm-hmm. um and i have a couple memories of that but mm-hmm. we um got away from the church after my parents divorced when i was 12 years old mm-hmm. uh, and so i live the the typical small town teenage rebel alcoholic uh life yeah. uh, until well uh, until my best friend, um, who happened to support me and help me out of that lifestyle as much as possible, who also invited me to um, Sunday school and his church and um, mm-hmm. church services once in a while, and I went once in a while, um, he introduced me to Jesus Christ as my Savior, oh. sitting at my mom's kitchen table. I had been drinking the night before. Mm-hmm. maybe even been celebrating my graduation from technical school. And um, he had just been a really good friend for 10 years. And he sat me down and he said, uh, Dennis, we've been friends a long time and I've watched you searching for something and I know who he is. Mm-hmm. And then he introduced me to Jesus and I accepted him as my savior at about 19 years old. And then later on, God called me into, or I started attending a Wesleyan church. God called me into the ministry through some other crazy um, servant opportunities in the Wesleyan church and youth camps and mm-hmm. went to school 
to be a pastor in Marblesville, Oklahoma. Met my wife there. Yeah. And then we moved back and pastored in Sundance, Wyoming, Rapid City, South Dakota, Redfield, South Dakota. We had Idaho. And then uh, she made her homecoming in 2016. And, I, and then uh, I moved up here to Kellogg to pastor in the Nazarene Church in July. To Actually, I'm in a, a really interesting process called restarting the church. Mm. That's really cool. Well, um, I guess let's pray and then you can kind of tell your testimony in more depth and <laughs> fill it all in for us. All right. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this nice day today and for Dennis and his willingness to share his story. Please be with him. Give him the words to speak to just testify of all that you've done in his life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I already said a lot about my testimony. Um, just just because you asked me that that I, what I what kind of religious background I have. Mm. So I'm pretty I think unique when it comes to my testimony and yet this there's similarities with a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, like I run across people of Catholic faith a lot and they almost always have kind of a sort of a black and white, a, a very just a, a, a distinct impression of what the church is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And then when they find out that I'm also Catholic, it almost, or was Catholic almost always gives me an in to talk to them about my faith in Jesus hmm. that there's like an identity thing that happens there. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say that, that my Catholic upbringing helped me much in my um, faith. Hmm. In fact, when my parents divorced, so like I said, I grew up in the Catholic faith, going to church pretty regular, especially on holidays. And then my parents divorced and that caused issues with the church and I had a, a very um, real talk with God um, prompted by my parents' divorce hmm. at 12 years old. And I just kind of let him have it. I, I, I told him exactly how I felt about what was going on, blamed him for causing my parents' divorce, hmm. which I often said, you can take anything to God. I, I tell people all the time, don't be afraid to give God your anger, to give him your joy, to give him whatever you have that's, that's keeping you from him or affecting your image of him. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I did that. Now, but recently I've realized that in that moment, I started this kind of lie in the back of my head that I couldn't trust God. Mm. And so I've learned that starting way back then at 12 years old, I believed in God, his existence, but I didn't have a relationship mm -hmm. so much. And so I, I began to just take care of my own life. Right. And what I've learned lately is more and more, it's better to trust him <laughs> with everything and not just the big stuff. So, so that, that was a, a huge moment for me in, in my walk with God, yeah. even though it was before I accepted Jesus as my savior. Hmm. I mean, when you can learn to tell him everything, that's, that's a really good starting point. Right. Yeah. And it helps to start listening too, yeah. <laughs> which I'm still learning how to do. Hmm. That's the hard part. But I definitely rebelled against 
him and all of life and lived out the fullness of the world with my my family dynamic was drinking and alcohol and and some of the rebellious sexual things i i lucked out of that most women weren't interested in me during those days so i didn't get too far off but um, alcohol was enough Hmm. fortunately i had a really good friend that cared enough to stick with me and stay close and introduce me to our savior jesus Um, Mm -hmm. he also was responsible for for me going to college um i actually um it's kind of a a different uh, he's responsible god used him in a lot of ways in my life so my first youth camp where I counseled was with him. And at that camp, we had to collect knives and weapons from the campers. Um, we had a, a kid that was demon possessed and I had no idea how to deal with that, but he did. Yeah. Um, that's a fun story. The kid had more strength than any middle schooler should ever be able to. And he picked up a tree root and threw it at me and knocked me down. Oh, um, goodness. And, and uh, my best friend, a tiny little guy, smaller than me, went over to him and started praying with him and got the demon out. And, and we had lots of troubles at camp. But that was kind of my introduction to being a Christian and helping others learn to be a Christian. What a great way to be introduced to it. You see it all right from the start. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing that God's faithful, even in the scary moments. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I had any idea what to think. And I still don't sometimes. <laughs> and then uh, I continued to counsel at camps. And one time when I was counseling at a youth camp later on, um, the preaching was happening. And uh, I was listening as a counselor thinking, I got to keep track of my kids and make sure they do what they need to do. And I was trying to figure out life. I was trying to understand what God wanted for me in life as a job. And a job was really important during those times. Um, what, what was my, how was I going to support myself? Um, yeah. And I heard, a, I heard a voice that wasn't the preacher. Um, I'm sure it was God. God said, your paycheck will come from me. Hmm. Kind of to say, don't worry about it. And so don't remember if it was before or after that, that I tried to go in the Navy and they wouldn't let me in because of a little bit of history of depression. And, hmm. and I had, had actually considered suicide i didn't act on it but i had considered and they didn't think that was a good thing to kind of person to have in the navy so that was not my direction from god yeah and then through circumstances with my best friend's little sister or a lady named tracy who i considered my little sister she was going to the same school brian my best friend was at in oklahoma Mm -hmm. wanted somebody to ride with her and so I went down and I, I met professors there and talked to them about this. My paychecks are supposed to come from you and they, my God. And they said, uh, you should look into being in the ministry. Um, mm. You should check into some classes and see if that's what God has for you. So I enrolled in college classes. I had some, had taken some, I had graduated with a, a degree at a Wyoming technical Institute with collision repair and I had taken a class here and there at our community college, mm-hmm. kind of looking for a route in life. And so I took those classes, transferred, and started going to school. And almost every class had something in it that was God saying, this is the right thing for you. 
I remember one of them was intro to ministry and part of our um, class structure was to go take a time of prayer every day which wasn't a practice I had at the time but the school had a chapel so I would go to that chapel um, for like a half an hour I think a day and, mm-hmm. and talk to God and he kept reminding me he kept saying that this is this is what I want for you don't worry about your paycheck don't worry about what's next just keep doing what you're doing and so I studied and I I, I met a, a wonderful friend by the name of Ruth, who my friend Brian also introduced me to. He was convinced that we would end up married, and we were both convinced that that that, that was not anywhere possible of happening. Um, but we began to um, go on walks or visits, visit together. And during that time, I had a commitment to not date anybody. Mm-hmm. Because I had a more moral failure with another woman the year before that, that God and I were working through what that meant. She refused to marry me. Uh, Melissa was her name, and she refused to marry me, so I didn't know what what was next. Yeah. Right? And so I don't talk about that with very many people, but I guess it's out now. So that year was me committed to a relationship with God, and it was wonderful but during that year, I became really close friends with Ruth, mm-hmm. who it was obvious God wanted to be my wife, um, just because we shared so much in common, um, shared kind of views of life, views of God, uh, views of, uh, of most everything, family life. Mm. And she was called to be a pastor's wife, and I was called to be a pastor. So that was really convenient. Yeah, uh, for sure. As well as a really cool answer or evidence that we were both called to those things. So we married the year after she graduated in 1997. And then she supported me for a year of college. That was our deal. Uh, I I would support her the rest of her life if she would uh, support me for my last year of college. And she did that (laughs) by managing some apartments we lived in and and working at the school. And then uh, we moved to Sundance, Wyoming, and pastored a really small church bivocationally, had other jobs. She had two of our kids there. Let's see. Yes, Andrew, our oldest, and David, our our middle child, were both born in Spearfish, South Dakota, near Sundance. And then God moved us out of that church to a church plant in Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, these are Wesleyan churches, um, and we were invited to be assistants in a church plant that was already starting, um, which we decided that was God wanting us to. And then Anna, our youngest, was was born, it, but she was born in, in uh, Spearfish, but we lived in Rapid City. I served at the district campground where my son is now working mm-hmm. for uh, where Andrew is um, for about six months, I believe it was, as assistant to district superintendent and the camp manager. So I got to do some of a little bit of everything. Yeah. And because of family dynamics, I had to get a better job and worked a full-time job in concrete construction manufacturing while trying to help the church grow the church. Kind of, kind of cool. My daughter, Anna, was born the same month 
as the church started and launched and was born. Oh, that's so cool. It is. And the church is still going well in Rapid City. Word of Hope is the name of it. And then uh, we served there until I ran into a personal issue with my temper. I actually had a run a, a, a circumstance with one of the youth in my youth group. I was doing youth and small groups and things like that. And there was an event where the pastor's son bothered me to more than he, than I should have let him. And, and uh, I pinned him to the wall by his throat and was invited to step out of ministry very kindly and also got the opportunity to go to counseling, hmm. learn some really cool things about where anger comes from and how to manage it. We served there for another four years as as layman, and then um, then we began to ask God if if He wanted me in ministry again, and looking for a mentor, um, another mentor pastor or role. And there was a pastor in Redfield, South Dakota, who he he, he had the voice of God and the heart of God, and and he was having troubles with congestive heart failure and diabetes and needed help. So through uh, interview process, we were chosen to go and support him and learn from him. And in the first year, the goal was to go out and meet all the families with him and get to know them and do some pastoral care learning things. And and uh, he was not able to do that. He was able to preach many Sundays, but I ended up preaching more often than expected and uh, within a year, he passed away, or he, he actually, he would say he went to glory. And, and from him, I learned how to care for people mm. as a pastor, that that was more important than anything else a pastor does. Yeah. Uh, then, so, we, and we stayed there for two more years as the solo pastor. Thought we would be there for a really, really long time, and the pastoral renewal vote came up and were shocked to find out that they were interested in looking for somebody else. Um, probably because I didn't know very much about audited ministry yet. Hmm. Been doing it for years and not really learning very much out of my stubborn mindset. <laughs> so must longer than others. So it, it does. And I'm definitely one of the long, longer learners. Um, and God, God likes to give me unique Unique assignments. I'll put it that way. I've been in a lot of transition roles in the church, and I'll talk about that a little bit more if we have time. From Redfield, when we learned that, we didn't know what we were going to do. We had three young kids, no place to, to go for ministry, and we started looking, and um, both my home church in Sheridan, Wyoming, and Ruth's home church in Wee Idaho were kind of looking for assistance, um, for help, and um, so we applied for Sheridan and didn't get it. And so we ended up in Weipe, um, where we were at. I was there for 11 years, I think it was, so 2008 to 2019. Um, kids kind of grew up there in my wife's hometown. Um, and while we were there, the pastor who was her childhood pastor, Don, um, we worked under him as assistant for, uh, I think it was two years. And I was, and during that time, I would, had several roles. We had trouble sort of figuring out what was my role. But it kind of overlapped because I'm a talker. Yeah. And so God gave me this, this ability to talk and preach. Um, 
and he kind of filled that role more so. And so a little bit of differences there, but he was there for 25 years and left un a little bit um, unexpectedly. We didn't really know what was happening. I don't think he knew exactly that was happening. Um, it was a good move, but after a pastor has been somewhere for 25 years, there's a lot of relationship connection. And my wife lived there and we pastored there. So she had a lot of relationship connection too, but the church didn't we didn't uh, just take over the church then they started looking for another pastor mm. and uh they brought in a young couple and and he was there about a year and a half and didn't do very well didn't connect very well which is hard to do when there's been a long-term pastor in a church and then another young pastoral couple so both of them were pastors came in after that and we tried to keep fulfilling our roles in the church and actually learned that there, there's a principle, at least in the Wesleyan church, where if a pastor resigns, his staff resign with him, which happened with Dawn and I. And so, but we didn't leave the church and therefore our relationships with all the people remained kind of maybe in conflict, uh, not intentionally, but just sort of mm -hmm. in conflict with the new pastors developing relationship. Mm -hmm. So, at one point, that pastoral couple, the the husband, of a friend and, and guy I worked with, and um, asked me into his office, and sat, we sat down, and he asked me, he said, um, we would like to, you and Ruth to um, step out of all of your ministry roles in the church. Oh, wow. And, and I said, well, okay, can you give me a reason why? And he wouldn't give me a reason why. Mm. Probably it had something to do with Ruth running the Iwanis program and his wife, the other pastor, um, wanting to do children's ministries and those overlapping. But mm. even more so, I think it had to do with the dynamic of us having built relationships and that making it really hard on them to build new relationships as a pastor. Yeah. So we took our middle school kids and we started looking for another church, which is really hard in Weeip, Idaho, where there's um, like one and a half, two churches, you know. Yeah. And, Very few. Uh, yeah. So through that process, we, we went to churches in Pierce, and we ended up going to the Nazarene Church in Orofino and found out that a, a guy who I had met and didn't know well, but the pastor there was actually going to leave there. And so he invited us to fill the pulpit to preach for him while he was on vacation. And God maneuvered that into an invite for us to supply that church in Orofino. Even though I'm ordained in the Wesleyan church, they're close enough cousins that they looked at my resume and, and liked the church there, liked who we were enough that they invited us to come and start preaching and, and pastoring there. Mm. Uh, and it was that in that time I got to meet your family. Yep. Um, get to got to play volleyball um, mm -hmm. with uh, Pastor Steve and all the Seventh Day Adventist wonderful people. Yeah. I, I miss those days. Mm, miss you. coming over to your your home, your parents' home, and and um, snacking and playing games and uh, spending time together. And in Orofino, so in Orofino, um, we pastored there for. Uh, I think it was two and a half years. And during that time, Ruth's breast cancer returned. She had had breast cancer in 
2014. Oh, it wouldn't have been earlier than that. 2011 was her, when she initially had breast cancer. Went mm -hmm. through uh, chemotherapy and radiation and, and got it. It went into remission. And she had, I want to say, three and a half, four years of remission close to that. And then in 2016, it returned in her bones and her organs. And through some other medical processes, it was they got it out of the bones, but it continued in her in her organs, namely her liver. At one point, there was a biop or a, there was a scan that showed two tiny spots on her liver. One was five millimeters. One was nine millimeters. They tried three times to biopsy. Um, the the bigger one was close to her lungs, so they tried the smaller one. They they tried. They didn't get us. A good sample. Then they tried the one by her lungs and ended up nicking her lungs and causing her poking her lungs to have a leak. I think it's called a hemothorax or something along those lines. Mm. Um, so that that was really difficult. Um, and through that, though, they finally got a good sample, and it came back as the same breast cancer as she had had before. Mm. They went back and did another scan, and her liver looked like Swiss cheese. And she was really failing physically at that point, went into the hospital um, in Lewiston and she was coherent and, and, you know, they just took her in to try and figure out what to do. And it didn't take very long before that began to just take over her body. She, she lost the ability to, to speak, um, but she could still communicate um, in that process. And it finally came to, to a day when, we had exhausted every possibility. Ruth was a go-getter. She was, she was a fighter, not willing to give up, except she would do anything experimental. And so it came to a point where I had to ask her, all we have left to try is experiments. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, um, when I talked to her, I said, um, I need to know what you want to do with experimental stuff. Do you want to try anything or do you want to let this be in the Lord's hands? And let him heal you however he chooses to heal you. Mm. And I, I said, because um, she couldn't talk, I said, if you agree with that, blink your eyes. And so she blinked her eyes. And then I said, okay, I want to make sure we're on the same page. We, I want to confirm what you're saying to me. So if you disagree with me and you don't, you want to try anything and everything possible to overcome this and, and remain physically alive, blink your eyes. And she closed her eyes and held them shut. Hmm. And in that moment, I knew that 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 I had to let her go. That she was ready. Um, it did take like a another week to ten days, which I see like the proverbial um, light tunnel thing happening, where Jesus is at one end of the tunnel saying, "It's okay." I'll take care of your kids. I'll take care of your husband. I'll take care of everything that you're responsible for there. It's okay. Come be with me. And yet her strength of character would have wanted to stay and raise her kids and stay and, and be who she was. So what a battle. Um, that it doesn't just happen easily in, in an instant. Um, the three kids came in and had, had to say their goodbyes. Um, I double checked with, her sister, who's a nurse, her younger sister, Esther, yeah. and her kind of best friend, cousin, Chris, who was also kind of helping us communicate and um, walking through her with the medical stuff. 
when I told them that story, they both said she told us the same thing. Hmm. So we knew that she was ready for heaven. Yeah. And that, that it was up to the Lord Jesus what was going to happen and, and how he healed her was going to have to be okay with us. Hmm. Still think the kids and I are working through that at some, some, in some ways. Um, it's been five years and it's still very real. Um, yeah. But she's not in pain. And so, and we've had, we've had tons. I've had so many opportunities to, to use things in my life like that, like her homecoming, to minister comfort to others. That's kind of like I talked about the Catholic thing, only a deeper, more spiritual connection with people who've had loss or in, are in the midst of loss. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how, how godly their loved ones were, there's still grief in life. For and sure. So... That left me a widower in 2016 and and uh, with three teenage kids not knowing what to do. Um, we're in, I think we're still in, in the Nazarene church in Orofino. And I thought we were going to stay there too and, and go there and pastor. And they actually decided to go on as well, just like in Redfield. Mm. And so we still lived in Weipe. We traveled there on weekends. And so we shifted and moved back to Weipe began to go back to the Wesleyan church. And during our time there, as the kids got um, shift, they changed. They, they were homeschooled by their mom and then they were homeschooled by their mom's mom or their Grammy for the next year. And that didn't work so well. One one of them even failed a class. Um, And so we had to figure out a better way to, to handle schooling, which was, um, we had nothing against public school, um, just chose homeschooling as a, as a better uh, option. Mm-hmm. The two youngest, um, or the, the oldest, Andrew, chose through a little bit of extra influence on my part to finish his high school at the Youth Challenge School in Pierce, Idaho. It was a, it was a, a great thing for him while he was there in some ways. But um, because Andrew is the kind of guy that needs um, outside discipline, it, he thrived in that school and graduated and has gone on to other interesting things in life, like marriage and, and now he's studying to be a law enforcement officer. And then David and Anna, the two younger ones, went to Timberline High School where they, were, they got a great education. Um, the teachers there were great for them. In fact, I don't know if either one of them would, would be in college right now. And they're pretty much thriving in college right now, probably because of, of getting out of the homeschool environment and making connections and with good teachers and a good school. So David is studying graphic arts and will probably graduate in about a year. And Anna is going into nursing which our mom would be very proud of, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. When we left the Nazarene church and went back to the Wesleyan church, it took me a little while, but I began asking the pastor there what I could do to support him. And he let me fill his pulpit whenever it was possible. And he was off on vacations and had some life stuff that, that made that more often 
than expected. And then um, also started to get the opportunity to go and visit with people in their homes and just kind of mm-hmm. try and reach out and, and help people walk in their faith in Jesus Christ. And then um, I began to ask the question again, God, do you still want me to pastor? And if so, how and where? And I had been in, in uh, Orofino, the Nazarene church. I had worked with a parachurch ministry called New Church Specialties, um, which they come in and they do a assessment and, and of the pastor and of the church and kind of evaluate where you're at and what you're doing and how effective it is. And I had done that in Orofino. And I noticed that they, they in other circumstances, when the pastor leaves, they have a, a staff of TIPS pastors, transitional interim pastors, that go into churches on a short-time basis, six months, maybe a year, and they do a similar thing where they kind of help the church, whether it's in a good transition or a bad transition, adjust from losing a pastor, however many years, to where do we go from here what kind of pastor do we want? Who do we, who are we going forward? Mm. Uh, and I thought that might be a ministry role for me. So I connected with them, started t- the application process as a, uh, a goal of trying to find out what God wanted for me after my kids were out of high school and on their own. When David and Anna graduated, well, before David and Anna, gradu- Anna graduated their senior year, New Church Specialties invited me to come and supply pastor in Kellogg, Idaho, for the Nazarene Church, which meant I got to drive four hours each way on the weekends after working my full-time job to come up and spend the weekend here and preach and kind of sort of lead the service. I did that until the kids graduated, and, and then the church was also working with New Church Specialties to work they they had been in a refocus process and the the pastor left in the middle of that and that's why i came to supply Hmm. well the church board decided to close the church in january of 2020 which was pretty good timing considering covid um but they they in that process decided to also close and restart the church so change the process they were in and invited me to become the restart pastor. Hmm. And that was really interesting because I I worked as a um, trust delivery um, in trust delivery the whole time I lived in WeIPE. And so I had long days of driving and thinking and having conversations with God in my head. Hmm. One of those conversations about what do I do about ministry God brought up this idea of church planting. The Weipe Church had planted a church in in uh, Kamei, actually in Kuski, that I considered. We Ruth and I had considered going and pastoring there, but we couldn't work it out with uh, sustainable income and raising kids. And uh, yeah. so we had been in this process twice of planting a church or helping plant a church and. Um, so my question in my head in my conversation with God was, do you want me to be a church planter? Cause this keeps coming up. Right. And so I said, uh, I said to him <laughs> kind of half pridefully and arrogantly, if Lord, if you want me to plant a church, it'd probably be a good idea 
to provide resources like people and a place and a plan. And well, that's pretty much what a restart is, is a church plant with people that are dedicated to the church and a place. And we have, we have um, more facilities than we can use and a plan, which was already mostly in place. All I had to do was figure out how I fit into the plan. Mm. And so that's where I find myself now is in this process of figuring out I'm not a trained or educated church planter, though I have some experiences, nor am I uh, gifted for restarting stuff, um, which maybe means that God can use me because I'm out of the way more. Mm-hmm. But I find myself currently in a restart of a church in the Nazarene system in Kellogg, Idaho, with a handful of dedicated people trying to figure out, uh, like a lot of churches after COVID, what's God about now? What is God doing in our world? And how do we get involved with that? What do we do to connect with the Lord and build his kingdom? Mm-hmm. And one of the things about me that's really, I think, kind of unique is I'm very, very unity and kingdom minded. I, I don't focus much on narrowed theology or or specifics if if we get jesus right yeah i think there's an awful lot of extras that we can do to try and keep getting jesus right that's a role that god has given me in a lot of places with a lot of people is sort of a generalist some people call it a jack of all trades and a master of none i think (laughs) but uh and a, one of my roles that I'm kind of stepping into here in Kellogg is being on the um, ministerial with with several other pastors in other churches. Mm. Our journey here over the last year through COVID was has given us the opportunity to go to many of the other churches and their services and meet. God has allowed me to make connections with other pastors and other people that are in the kingdom of Christ that are, that are building Jesus kingdom in different mm-hmm. ways. And so I often get, I wouldn't say, I don't know that I thrive, but I often get used by God in unique roles and situations. Mm-hmm. And one day, one day maybe I will get more comfortable and confident and, uh, <laughs> And uh, just n- understand better how that works. But in the meantime, I do everything I can to saturate my life with things and people that are close to or want to be close to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I think that's it. Like, like especially like starting out in ministry, you're like, well, Lord, okay, you called me here. But what does that look like? Because like, Everybody mm-hmm. in church, even the lay people, they should have a ministry and they should be having something that they do for Jesus, for God, to like expand his kingdom, to tell others. And so you got to figure that out. And sometimes that requires, you know, jumping around, learning different roles and like learning from others how they do ministry. So that way you can be like, OK, so this is what it's supposed to look like or is this what it's supposed to look like? And, you know, sometimes that's refinement of character and, you know, learning you have issues and problems. And, you know, sometimes Christian counseling is what we need and it's important to get it. But, you know, like, that's a good thing. And we should encourage 
church members to be comfortable with that too because like it sounds like you learned a lot of like valuable lessons about like anger and understanding that and like growth like it's okay to need help because ultimately god is our main support line and then yeah sometimes you get interesting ministry roles and you get to work with interesting people because it's all about like learning about like that connection and that relationship i really like that you brought that out because like that's something i've been learning too like the relationship that you have with people that's important because jesus was very relational and he connected with people and he talked with them so like when you do ministry it should also be relational and it should be christ-centered because that's ultimately why we're going to heaven because of our relationship with yeah. jesus yeah. we are we are very unique in how we are approaching ministry ministry here mm -hmm. it's called organic but it's built out of relationship first so our, our technical design is we are a group of or a community of small groups that meet together to to uh, advance christ to um, live in a life with christ rather than having a big church and building small groups out of the bigger people mm -hmm. to start with relationship first highlight on relationship and and so one of the things that i'm working on that's a personal and may become a church dynamic is being real mm -hmm. we start with relationship we encourage one another that can be education or uh, many other things we account or hold each other accountable for life in Christ. So we, we hold each other up by encouraging one another and by holding each other accountable in a real a life together. And so it's it's we're trying to get in our mindset that it's designed, go back to how Jesus did it. Like you said, Jesus chose 12 disciples. That's a small group, but Jesus also chose within those 12, two or three to spend his, his most valuable moments with. And if you look at John, he had a really close personal friend as well. I think those dynamics help us as we walk as disciples of Jesus Christ. If we start with the relationship and be intentional in our relationships with the people we're closest with, the people we're in relationship with, the people we're with together the most, then we grow closer to them and Christ together. And so it's, it's a moving target, but yeah. the Holy Spirit is always, always available to, to help us understand more as we do that. For um, sure. Yeah, no, because it's, it's the relationship with Jesus that's going to get us to heaven. And so, like, in order to encourage people to have a relationship with him, we need to have a relationship with him. And they need to see us and sometimes like the good parts of our character and sometimes the bad to realize like oh like hey god is working in your life like you used to be like a not so great person like me and you know god's working and changing you and i think that's the important part that relationship because like god's with us through the ups and downs through the many moves and all the kids and the chaos because he's a relational god he wants to be there for the messy parts and the good parts and like you're saying he wants us to be real about like the hurt and the pain because he also wants us to tell him about the good and to like stop talking for a second and listen to what he has to say too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> That's one of the harder things to do sometimes, but I find it, I find it, um, I don't know when this started for me, but 
probably close to when I started saturating my life with Christ, with with um, Jesus things. So apps on my phone or Bible apps on my phone and, and videos from YouTube and people I spend time with, I, I try to just saturate all of my life with as much of God's things mm-hmm. as I possibly can. So now when I get into scripture and I start reading it, it's like an interaction. It's not like me being a student of a book. I'm actually having a personal relational interaction with what God has to say to me. And that's, I can feel myself listening and hearing what he has to say behind the words hmm. by his Holy Spirit. It's, it's cool. It's awesome. Yeah, because the Bible's not some dry old book. Like in Hebrews chapter 4, I think first of all, it talks about how it's like living and it's powerful and it's quick. It's like this sharp two-edged sword. Like, like the Bible's supposed to be something strong and powerful and like alive in our lives, not like an old book that we're like, oh yeah, I read that like once or twice a day. Right. And it is. The more you plug in, the more real it gets. It's just like any other relationship. Intentional helps or it has helped me to be intentional. Mm-hmm. For sure. So many cool things I could talk to you about. Well, you know. Well, thank you for sharing, Dennis. I really appreciate that because like, I think the relationships, what we I think, especially like in Christianity, we somehow forget the whole point of our walk with God and how it's a relationship. And also like the aspect of like relationships, they're slow and you build them over time. Like you need to talk to the person, you need to have interactions with this person. You have some vulnerable moments and then you'll definitely have the, the rocky patches where you're not close, but then you can use that to come back together and build a deeper intimacy and a closer bond and that's what our walk with god is going to look like it's going to be some rough patches it's going to be some mountaintop moments but through it all like we're walking with him and we're learning and like our rocky patches it's not the end it's just a chance to grow closer to him and yeah for some reason we forget like the whole point of our like faith or something yeah i think it's easy to get distracted one of the things that you can't see on an audio, but one of the things that's helping me is seeing God as a constant. Mm. What God does, when, when God loves, he, he's always loving. When God makes judgment, he's always making the right judgment. He is always who he is, and he is always doing what he does. So there's kind of a steady line of who he is, and we point ourselves toward that at times and at other times we point ourselves away mm-hmm. or we maybe just run parallel with him. And so it's, it's, it's kind of on us when we connect with who God is and how he interacts and what he has to say and his characteristics. And yet he's, he's gentle and patient and kind enough to let us be the one that decides that. I think sometimes he moves closer maybe and just says, how close can I get before that? notice and pay attention mm-hmm. well, that's for sure he's he's the constant steady one in the relationship and we're kind of the ones that are like oh here i'll talk to you for a minute and then maybe i'll like go away or come back and we're the ones like trying to decide you know like can we trust god will he stick around through it all but like you're saying he is this constant he's gonna stick around he's always been around it's just him letting us learn to trust him and to love him and be like, yeah, he is right. going to stick here through it all. Yep. Amen. Yeah. 
All right. Well, on that note, thank you again, Dennis. I really, really liked your story, and I love the thoughts of that relationship with God and His constantness and our 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 coming and goings. So, yeah. Thank you. All right, and everybody, tune in next week for Kylie interviewing someone. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page. That is God is Real, God is Good podcast. Or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good podcast at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.